Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. You guys see that uh, father-daughter duo that's been going to Leafs games and their season ticket holders just wearing the jerseys of opposing teams? I did see that. My heroes. I have never been so inspired to be a father in the future. <laughs> like that is elite level hater attitude. That is what we should all aspire to. That is the perfect encapsulation of hockey fans all rallying together across 31 franchises to just dunk on the Leafs. That is what it, that's what's what it's all about. That's quality time with your kids. I mean, for how much they paid for those tickets, they have every right to be as angry as they are and cheer against the Leafs. Well, <laughs> something tells me that it's, uh, money's not a problem for them if they have those tickets and the jerseys. And those are like, there are updated jerseys too. I see the Tampa Bay special edition. I see the Florida reverse retro. Like they're, they're up to date with their hate. Yeah, they're all in. No expense was wasted no. on their trolling of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yes, they're Habs fans, but they're honorary every Leafs arrival fans today. Good for them. And good job, uh, Adam Lascaris, friend of the podcast, for, for doing the investigation and writing uh, the article for Daily Hive. We should have Adam back on one day. We should uh, remove his ban from the Winged Wheel podcast. <laughs> All right, well, lots, lots has happened since the last episode of the podcast. Let's jump right into it. Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast, here to talk to you about all things Detroit Red Wings hockey, the world of the NHL, the playoffs, and a special interview today with uh, Ken Daniels. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. On this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, uh, like I mentioned, lots has happened. We are going to be talking about an update with Simon Edvinson. Uh, he had shoulder surgery, so we'll talk about what his timeline is and what that means for other Red Wings prospects. The Tyler Bertuzzi question has come back up and uh, probably worth addressing now that Boston season is over, which we will talk about later on. We caught up with Ken Daniels as uh, the offseason kicked off for him, and he gives us his thoughts on the Red Wings season, what's upcoming for them, the playoffs, and lots more. And uh, we'll get into uh, whatever else we can fit in before overtime. The playoffs, uh, maybe a little bit of what's going on in Calgary and uh, plenty more. Before all that, I want to let you know that this podcast is uh, in essentially completely supported by our Patreon supporters. Patreon.com slash Winged Wheel Podcast. Your support allows us to do things like grow the show, constantly improve, uh, uh, maintenance, upkeep, things like that. But also uh, our support of the Jamie Daniels Foundation through Wings Money on the Board and other initiatives. Uh, our hosting Winged Wheel Podcast Nights uh, at the LCA in partnership with the Detroit Red Wings, expanding the Winged Wheel Podcast content network with uh, the first new show, which is expected by whom, uh, hosted by Prashant Iyer and Sean Shapiro. All of that is supported by our patrons. And if you do support, you get benefits like our Patreon-exclusive bonus episodes, which we have been told are funnier and better than the main episodes. Uh, you are given access to the Patreon-exclusive Discord community and also are entered it automatically into all of our giveaways. Uh, we give away two tickets to every Red Wings home game this past season, the vast majority going directly to patrons. So patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast. If you're able and want to support the show, uh, we really, really, really appreciate it. The Simon Edvinson news caught me kind of off guard. Yeah. Yeah. He was kind of fighting something the whole last little bit of the year. Um, so I don't think it's a surprise that he was hurt. Four to six month recovery was a touch surprising considering he was playing through it. Yes. I 
I agree with you that he was playing through it. I wonder how long he's been playing through it too, because I know his shoulder had nagged him at different points over the last year, really, like even in international play. So I wonder if this was a thing where, you know, he wanted to play through it and thought, let's just try to recover without. And we just went through this with Jacob Verona a couple of years ago. So um, some PTSD there, but I think you're right. You could see it, Brad, at the end of uh, his his nine games with the Red Wings at the end of last season. It must have just been, yeah, you're up at NHL speed, NHL pace, that kind of physicality, and then you know for sure, yeah, this needs worked on. Or they could have decided even earlier in the year but thought, I can just play through the rest of the season before taking that long of a recovery time. This is my guess, just knowing typical hockey player mentality. This is probably Simon saying, this is my year to establish myself. I'm not taking time off. And just kind of played through it. And obviously, I'm sure the team was aware of whatever was going on. And, you know, if he wasn't at risk of making it worse, they would let him play through it if it was a pain management thing. Mm-hmm. To which anytime it's a pain management thing, the player's going to play. You know how dumb hockey players are, though we love them for it. That makes the game great. But Yeah. So I'm guessing that he got had a good season in the AHL. Had a good nine-game stint with Detroit. Felt very comfortable with where he has, where where his spot in the organization is now. And the team's like, all right, what do we want to do? He probably went, okay, fix it. Four to six months is, I have to say, this isn't a great piece of news for the Red Wings. Obviously, there's no four to six-month surgery that will be good for any player, but... Simon Edvinson's at the age where, yeah, you can display the skill and the talent and your hockey IQ and what have you, but the physicality, the skating strength, the the speed, all of that, it comes with a foundation of good offseason work. It's almost like a meme now, like this player needs to get, bulk up and get stronger in the offseason, like go live with Gary Roberts and do his regimen, whatever it is. But it's it's a joke for a reason, like it's true. And you know, filling out frames, building NHL level strength. If you're a guy that size is leveraging that to your advantage, which is, you know, look at Michael Rasmussen pre the glorification of him when that was actually a big disadvantage for him. And he obviously got a lot stronger during an off season. And now his game has completely changed. You want something similar for pretty much anyone of that frame. Edmondson needed this off season to do a lot of that work and not to say he can't do anything, but four four to six months means he's either ready just in time for, you know, camp, preseason, whatever, or he's only going to be healthy after the season starts a few weeks later, depending on how the timeline goes, and then he's playing catch-up. So he's not even just shaking off the rust and getting up to game speed. This is a really, really, really important year for for building yourself physically. It's not like, it's not going to be a lost year and he's going to be catching up for the rest of his career, but it's going to be more of a grind than what he would have wanted. Before this, we would have said, yeah, he's likely very likely on the opening night roster based on how he performed his nine games. And not that he doesn't have to earn it, but he shouldn't have any trouble finding that spot. And now that's that's a big question mark depending on how he comes off this the recovery process. Yeah, I guess it depends how much training he can do. Because if it was like a four to six month lower body, you're screwed. You can't do any cardio. Um, you're going to be coming in cold. So it'll be interesting to see when he'll be cleared to start actually skating and doing some sort of training um but it opens the door for other guys oh yeah this namely albert johansson william willinder two guys who we've been saying and a lot of people have been saying don't discount them just because edvinson's coming in and don't discount them just because the red wings have other nhl bodies on the roster they can come into camp and make some noise so 
what does this mean for their their prospects for uh, next season's Red Wings? I don't think it means anybody's getting that spot automatically because, again, with the flexibility of Chirac going from left side to right side, wherever they need him. But what it does open up is an opportunity for somebody to take it. What, one of Willinder or Johansson is going to have an inside track to be that sixth, seventh guy to make the team out of camp, which if Edvinson was there, I think we could all probably agree was a bit of a long shot for one of them to stick out of camp, at least, until there, unless there was an injury or, or something. They both go in, one of them, or both in a perfect world, have a phenomenal camp preseason. Yeah, they're probably suiting it up, suiting up opening day at that point, which, again, I would have given less than 5% odds on a healthy team that that would have happened before the Edmondson news uh, broke. Not the like the nicest thing in the world that Edmondson is no longer in the running, or at least depending on how his recovery goes, he's it's it's a way bigger question mark, but... Yeah, like you said, Brad, it's it just opens the door for them and it opens it wider. And it's good because you wouldn't want the issue of, you know, you have middle pair NHL bodies or even bottom pair NHL bodies holding these spots where it doesn't make sense to kick him out of it. But, you know, Willender or, or Johansson don't have the opportunity to, to shine here. So those guys have an opportunity to kind of do what Elmer Soderblom did to a degree. If you come in and you you impress, there's a spot for you. You just have to take it. And if they don't, that's okay. Like Grand Rapids obviously is going, they're going to have to hire a new coach and they're going to go through a probably transformative process based on how Sean Horkoff talked about that. But it's, you know, you're not happy about the Edmondson surgery. You're not happy about the injury, but there's, there's other doors being opened here. One other thing I'll add, NHL teams almost to a fault over project. Uh, under promise over deliver in terms of injury timelines. They they really never like to the injury to to go further than what they publicly communicate. So I'm not saying Edvinson's gonna be ready in three months, but often with timelines like this, guys are are skating and doing, you know, full physical contact, full all out training way before the four to six months uh, uh timeline comes up. So this could be that situation, but you also have to avoid setbacks. Brad, you have, you had, I don't know how many shoulder injuries. Did you, yeah, you got it operated on? No, I got very close to surgery, but we were able to, uh, rehab and avoid it. Evan and I are going to push you into the door frame on the way downstairs to see if we can re-aggravate that. Uh, jokes on you. The time frame for surgery was two years. If I re-aggravated it in under two years, it was automatic surgery. We're over three years now, buddy. Your body's not recovering the same way it used to. Oh, we're gonna have to push you harder, is yeah. what I hear. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, if if it goes if if I re-aggravate it, I might be able to avoid surgery still with more rehab. But either way, this is I, I did want to bring this up. So thank you for accidentally bringing it up for me. Where surgery is a little more definitive than rehab, and uh, he's young and made of exactly. rubber and has the best yeah physical therapy in the world. Cause I rehabbed my shoulder the last one and my timelines were changing every week. So the fact that Edmondson's getting surgery will definitely be more accurate, but you can't pinpoint shoulders just cause there's so many moving parts, joints, muscles, ligaments going through there in a million different ways. So, you know, Ryan was almost a doctor, so maybe he can uh, <laughs> get getting a little more scientific terms for us here. But uh, no, I, I think it, it's it's he has a way better uh, young athletes like him. Their outcomes are generally better for the obvious reasons. Yeah, they recover faster. They have the best 
medical training and medical staff in the world at their disposal. By all rights, this should, and they said it was successful. So by all rights, it should go well. Yeah. Yeah. So everything's on the table, but I I would bet on the quicker versus the later, given the, everything you laid out. All right. Let's talk about one more thing before jumping in with Ken. Uh, The Boston Bruins, like I mentioned before, (laughs) 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 lost in a historic way. Uh, They're out, which means Tyler Bertuzzi is out of the playoffs, had himself some kind of of first round, five goals, five assists, 10 points, and just basically stamped what everyone knew would be on the page, which is this guy is a playoff player. I know there were talks about how the best players on Boston, including Bertuzzi, performed in the losses, plus minus gets thrown around a lot, but still Bertuzzi's price was raised after that. Now, something I'll say is based on, you know, what we know and my understanding, uh, Steve Eisenman has said multiple times that there was a big disconnect between his and Bertuzzi's camp on contract, and uh, it never really went very far, and the the talks broke down well before he was traded. And based on my understanding, the crux of that or the non-starter was Bertuzzi wanted seven years, I believe it was. Seven years or maybe seven years plus, but seven years not even to mention whatever dollar value he was asking for. And remember that this is Tyler Bertuzzi's biggest contract of his life. He's never going to make more money than he is on this next contract. So he should be asking for a lot. But the seven years for the Red Wings where they saw Bertuzzi miss a ton of time to to injury and were wondering whether it would be worth spending all that money for all that time and what the risk of the drop-off would be, they were just never there. And so that's why Bertuzzi was traded. So now folks are wondering... They saw Bertuzzi do great. They saw him really crush it with Boston. Do you bring him back in the offseason now that he's an unrestricted free agent? Boston's going to have trouble retaining their players because they don't have a ton of cap space. Does Detroit do it? And my honest intuition here, and I'd never say never, and this isn't based on any intel, but just knowing what we know, his price went up. I just don't see how it would make sense for, for Detroit to do it now if they were out on him before. I'll pose one Simple question that should sum up most of this problem. Outside of we like the guy, what part of Tyler Bertuzzi as it stands right now would fit for the Detroit Red Wings long term? Oh, I would love to have him on the team long term. Again, we like the guy, but his age, contract demands. It's just the contract. Yeah, it's. Well, even age, because again, how far away are the Red Wings? We've talked about that at length, but he's closer to 30 than he is 25. Okay, but so, we can't be talking about going out and getting, you know, Connor or Ehlers or whatever and not say Bertuzzi. Getting Bertuzzi for no assets would be uh, a hindrance to the timeline. Agree but, or disagree with what the timeline is. No, but it's relevant because Kyle Connor has three years left on his contract. You can take a guy and not at around that age and not commit seven years to him. And again, I'm with you. This is the biggest contract of Tyler Bertuzzi's career. And if I'm Tyler Bertuzzi, I am fighting for every last year and every last dollar on this contract. And I am not settling for a penny less because it's the time. And he's, this playoff series was the best performance of his career. Everything lined up perfect for Tyler to get paid. And with all his injuries and how I played out in Detroit, that wasn't always in the cards for him. So from a Tyler Bertuzzi perspective, good for him. Awesome for him. This worked out perfectly for his financial future. The Red Wings ain't giving him seven years. If the Red Wings were going to, well, he would never have been a Bruin. 
and he they would have got him for cheaper than they would be able to get him now. And if they were really set on it and they just couldn't quite negotiate the contract, they wouldn't have traded him because they'd have been close and they'd have just kept negotiating. So I'm not saying it's a 0% chance, but I'm going to say it's a sub 3% chance if I want to be generous. Seems pretty unlikely to me as well. I mean, when you're not close on contract and the conversation has dissolved sooner rather than later, that just makes me think that neither party is really interested in what the other has to say. So, you know, things do change. Perspective changes once you go to a new team and, you know, your life has changed for X amount of time after the trade deadline. So you never know if there's comfort in returning. Um but if I'm Tyler Bertuzzi, you guys know me. I'm taking maximum dollar, <laughs> maximum guaranteed money. I'm not taking a one-year, two-year, three-year. I don't even know if he'd take a four-year deal. He's got to maximize oh. the earnings. Um, and I think there's going to be lots of teams who line up for his services. You would have been the first one to take the live tour offer. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I agree. For the record, we talked about it the other day. I agree with you. But also, because we're... Well, I'm a peon. You're, I don't know. I don't even want to project. I thought you were going to say I'm a golfer and I was going to laugh very hard. I am. Yeah, you are. <laughs> you definitely are. I have a lot of fun and I'm terrible. I think that I'm qualified. That makes you a golfer. I agree fully. I think the chance is about as low as it can be without it being zero because you can't say definitely. But like, what's the number? What, what contract length would you, would you take for Bertuzzi? Let's say he was interested in taking anything lower than seven, which he won't. But let's say he was. Would you take Bertuzzi on a five-year deal? Because I think I would. Yeah, I would. But he well, won't. What if his offers are only... Like, what if the total sum of the contracts are all about the same? I, I In I, terms of dollars and times... I think for length. a guy who just did five goals, five assists in his first seven playoff games at the NHL level, he is going to be flooded with offers. I just think someone's going to overpay for him. I do too. Or pay the, the free agency premium that's for That's why him. I said what if. Yeah, that's fair. In that hypothetical... Well, he would take the most dollars. He would just want the most dollars, period. Yeah. Whatever the total sum of the contract is, that's what he would take. I mean, if you're talking five years gets you one million less than seven years, then that's when he'll probably make a different decision. But teams are going to go to seven on him. Yeah. Obviously, I don't think he's going to get max dollars and max term. That's just not how free agency ever works. Generally, you have to settle... Somewhere, unless you're like an Artemi Panarin, John Tavares, Steven Stamkos level free agent. And obviously teams are going to be aware of Bertuzzi's history and there's going to be, there's some red flags there. And, but, but you're right. Teams are going to be tripping over themselves to get a playoff performer. Who's that, that gritty physical Matthew Kachuk light type of player, especially with Matthew Kachuk going the way he's exactly. going right now. That exactly. type of player right now is going to be in. High, high demand. It could be Florida. <laughs> and you know what? That's how you get away from the max dollar because of the low income tax or yeah. the no no uh, income tax state. And that I'm sorry, Tyler Bertuzzi, as much as he's a, uh, he made Michigan his second home and as much as he looks like he belongs in Boston, that is a Florida man if I've ever seen one. I was going to say, he looks like a Florida <laughs> man too. Do either of those teams have any salary cap space though? Tampa is going backwards this off season. Who knows? You know what? We say the cap is fake a lot, and it's more true in other sports, but we've seen teams will make moves if they need to. We, how much movement did we see last summer between Florida and Calgary, for example? Don't expect that every year, but 
the NHL is a copycat league. And as one team starts to set a trend, you're going to see it. And that the same thing applies. I'm glad you brought up Kachuk. Kachuk is going to be the poster boy, especially if Florida does this against Toronto and goes to the conference finals, which again, reminder, if they do Detroit's 18th overall pick moves up to 17th. So go cats. Uh, if, if Kachuk does this and Florida moves on to the conference finals, you're going to hear Matthew Kachuk, Matthew Kachuk, Matthew Kachuk for the next 10 years. He is going to be the prototypical NHL player who gets it done in the, in the regular season and postseason. Now, obviously, everyone would love a Connor McDavid, but we just haven't found the lab that they made him in yet. So, yeah, Matthew Kachuk is going to be the face of what NHL GMs are going to seek all the time, for better or worse, because they're going to have a lot of misses and they're going to overpay a lot of guys who just aren't Matthew Kachuk. And at the end of the day, those guys just turn into checking forwards. That's right. Just get into the into the shit. And then the Red Wings have uh, some more fourth liners. But no, I that I think his the archetype of player he is is what's going to make teams uh, see past the red flags. Where does he end up? Bertuzzi? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of running through the teams in my head right now. There's some interesting fits, some better fits, but those teams are capped out. It's gonna be gonna be fascinating to see who's in the market for him. First team jumped to mind was Minnesota, but they're about to enter their 14 million of dead cap. That's funny. That was the team that came to my mind too, but I have no reason why. He just feels like a Minnesota type. You know what I mean? What about LA? I don't know what their cap situation is like. It's not great. And they've got some raises coming up Hmm. here. Here's one that makes sense, especially considering he's from Sudbury, Ottawa. I was going to say Winnipeg. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, Winnipeg does have the biggest Sudbury vibes. That's Sudbury North. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Kachuk, uh, Brady Kachuk, Tyler Bertuzzi would be nasty to play against. Ottawa's in the category of they're putting the foot on the gas. They're looking for guys. So Yeah, you're not wrong. And they are probably one of the few teams who would want a Tyler Bertuzzi that will have the cap space for a Tyler Bertuzzi. And that's not a, a far flight home for him. Exactly. That's what I mean. He's, you know, Northern Ontario to kind of not really Northern Ontario. Guess, oh, that's, uh, guess how long that drive is still. It's still probably seven, eight hours. Six hours. Wow. Yeah. That's, yeah. The top of Ontario is colossal. Anyhow. It takes 24 hours to drive through Ontario. His, yeah, his name is going to be at the top of a lot of lists. I think we just need to see how the cap situations shake out and we're going to need to see some moves made. Now, for folks who don't know, Bertuzzi can sign an, a maximum eight-year contract with Boston if it gets done before free agency. The moment it takes over to unrestricted free agency period, then the most he can sign is a seven-year deal with anyone. So that's what uh, Tyler Bertuzzi is working with. But yeah, uh, whether or not you agree he's a fit for the Red Wings in the future, uh, our spectrum of opinions, I think we all agree, the chances are low. Never say never, but something would have to change. Uh, Steve Eisenman isn't in the Red Wings in their plan. Like It's not that Steve Eisenman is hard-headed and it would never change his mind, but it just... There are certain things that make sense for the Red Wings and it doesn't really make sense to deviate away from them. So if something changes, I would have to imagine it'd be from Bertuzzi, but we'll see. Okay, let's jump into our conversation with Ken Daniels. We caught up with Ken to talk about uh, how his offseason is going, the Stanley Cup playoffs, his uh, take on Dylan Larkin, Mo Sider, Lucas Raymond, the Detroit Red Wings uh, past season, what's coming up for Steve Eisman in the offseason and, and a look towards the future and plenty more. So without further ado, lead announcer of the Detroit Red Wings, Ken Daniels. Ken, one of these days I'm going to make the uh, interview process easier for you. I I put you through the ringer every time you need to log on. (laughs) That's okay, as long as your quality works. 
Well, it, it, we'll see. We'll see at the other end because I know you won't re-record with me. So uh, this is our one shot to get it right. Folks, uh, Ken Daniels is joining us for the first time this offseason. Ken, how are the first uh, few weeks of uh, non-Red Wings hockey going for you? Going okay. I had some uh, speaking engagements out of town, so I was busy through the first round of the playoffs. And uh, that worked out very well for me. And uh, went to the game in, in Toronto for number five. So uh that was uh, wonderful too. And I always prayed for chaos, you know, even though I'm from Toronto and people always ask me, do you root for the Leafs? And it drives my brother who lives in Toronto crazy that I don't. I don't wish them any ill will. I've just always prayed for chaos. But uh, now that they got through that round, uh, I think they're going to be a, a force to deal with now because I think that was the big thing mentally for them. And as uptight as they may have been, I think getting through that um, really was beyond just a victory. It was a huge since 2004 craziness of 19 years. So um, I thought maybe if it went to seven, there could be even greater chaos, but uh, I'm glad they finally won for my family's sake who still root for them. I don't, I don't root against them, but I'm happy for the likes of Kyle Dubas. And I never believed that even if the Leafs were out in the first round, that Brendan Shanahan would make a move. And I still think he would have been there that Kyle Dubas wouldn't because Kyle Dubas would be gobbled up in no time. I think he's done a nice job and you can't blame him for taking the chances and making moves that he did. This is far from a, a team that years ago and for the past few years was losing. So, you know, um, I, I think Kyle Dubas was there anyway, and uh, this will be more proof of that. Yeah, I was going to mention you being from Toronto. It's really hard to articulate sometimes if folks haven't been around just how big this is for the world of hockey, you know, north of the border, especially like you, the weight that's lifted off of them. And I agree with you. They're playing with house money now in their minds. Like, I think we're going to see a version of that core that's going to play with a, a certain kind of stress that they won't have anymore that they've been playing with, you know, since they joined the team. So, uh, I do wish Toronto a little bit of ill will. It's funny when uh, when they lose, but uh, they got past the first round demon. So yeah, I'm with you on just cheering for chaos now. And the, the playoffs so far have been full of it, full of it. Oh, it, it, I love it. And and that's why even even though I, I was busy and a little bit of travel in there with, with speaking engagements, it was uh, still so much fun and every night to watch. And, and now, you know, I was thinking the other night, I go, wow, we could have a Florida-Seattle Cup final. Wouldn't that be something? And uh, <laughs> and then you could have Toronto-Edmonton Cup final. Wouldn't that be something? So uh, I, I, I love it. Um, you know, people were saying when teams were, were down three to one, will we get game sevens? And I'm thinking, yeah, because I just knew there would be. Um, Florida surprised me, but when they got that first one in Boston, then I started to wonder a little bit. And then in the end, and even when my wife came in and, and she watched game seven with me, um, and she's watching it and she said to me, is Florida actually a better team than Boston? Cause they sure look like it. And I said, well, yeah. And it almost looked like Boston, the weight heavy as the head that wears the crown and no crown heavier than what Boston did this season, even though with shootout points, et cetera, the most points, okay, whatever. It can go with an asterisk. They're a very deep and good team, but they just looked uptight in the end. And it seemed to be that Florida was handling it better. And Matthew could chuck to another level now. And I thought he would have ended it on a, on a breakaway. And wouldn't that have been something? But still, just the, the way they did. And, and then, of course, after I finished watching that game, I said, we have to flip over and listen to Jack Edwards call. And uh, likening to the Hindenburg. And I thought, okay, that's classic Jack. I love listening to the other guys' calls. And I have a tendency to listen to the, the local feeds 
in the first round where I can than watching the national games. Uh, it's more interesting to me to go back and forth and hear how they're calling it, whether their team's winning or losing. So it's a, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. And I'm going to state the obvious here. How good is it going to feel once Hockey Town gets to to be part of this again? Like the greatest spectacle in sports in my mind is the first round of the playoffs. Like spring yeah. hockey, it is. It's yeah. just it changes the game in Detroit when that team's in the playoffs. Oh, for sure it does. Oh yeah, and he, you know, I said at the start of the year, and probably on your podcast, and I've been with you guys a few times and, and elsewhere. I didn't think the Red Wings were making the playoffs this year, so it's not shocking to me, but. And I, I think you said, you know, what would be your expectations this year? My expectations were that they would be involved in uh, in important games come February and March. And in fact, they were. And then that stumbled just before Ottawa, which made the moves at the deadline. But I honestly, in my heart of hearts, I, I still think even if they were close there, that Steve still was going to do what he had to do at the deadline. It would have been nice to get in. But even then, that was an uphill climb. And I never thought the Red Wings weren't a good enough team to get in, just get in, not make noise. But then I looked around and saw who was there up against them. And I actually thought Buffalo and Ottawa would be better than they were this year. But then when you looked at Florida and Toronto and Tampa and Boston and the other side, there was just too many teams that were better at this juncture. And there might still be next year too. And that's okay. Uh, This team is building in the right direction. You talked about the season. I think, the, like you said, the end result was kind of what we expected, and the highs were maybe a little bit different than what we thought. We didn't think that they'd get that close to a playoff spot, and the lows, you know, especially with how the season ended, the injuries to Rasmussen and such, and, and trading away key players were lower. But through all the storylines, you know, Bertuzzi missing most of the season, Verona obviously being gone entire, almost the entire season, uh, Larkin, Larkin's contract year. What are your, some of your key takeaways from the year and, and overall kind of assessment of how the Red Wings did? The thing that stands out to me, and I believe at the start of the year when I said the Red Wings would finish with 87 points. So they, 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 they were under that. Um, so it wasn't going to be good enough for the playoffs. But again, the competitiveness and to be in games and what Steve did to add that, that veteran leadership. When I look back at the season, I think the most surprising thing to me is how much the Red Wings missed Michael Rasmussen. I think at the start of the year, you never would have thought that. But Rasmussen was injured in the 3-0 loss to Tampa Bay when Andre Vasilevsky, if he played as well in these playoffs, uh, Toronto wouldn't be where they are now if Vasilevsky played like he did that night in whatever it was, 47 shots or whatever Detroit had in the 3-0 win. But that was really the start of the downfall because after that and the two losses to Ottawa, that did in Detroit. And it was such a major effort. And that was the game that Rasmussen was injured in. And I think there could have been even a little bit more pushback against Ottawa with him in there. And again, at the start of the year, you wouldn't never would have thought that. I mean, Rasmussen a couple of years ago, and we joke about the New Year's Eve resolutions, right? What's your resolution to be better at hockey? And damn if the guy didn't get better at hockey. Question what you want about a ninth overall pick. But you know what? He's been a really useful guy and he gives a lot of presence and size. So that was my takeaway around that time in the loss to Tampa Bay when the Red Wings were still in it. I didn't think they'd have enough to keep it going, but uh, then then he was injured and all the injuries played a role. And sure, as you mentioned, Bertuzzi and Verana, et cetera, um, that all, all played a key factor, even, even when Mata was out for a little bit, right? And it broke up a fine pairing um, that he was doing so well with, with Hironic. Um, so different stretches through the season where 
you find that teams like Boston had the run they were on because of the great depth that they had. And they could add a guy like Tyler Bertuzzi. And teams with depth, even though you could say you're watching the first round of the playoffs and you're saying, what the hell does a regular season mean? Maybe not as much as we think, but you still need that depth um, come playoff time. In the uh, postseason presser, Steve Eisenman made a lot of kind of allusions to expecting a lot of the improvement from the Red Wings next season to come from their young guys. And he seemed to lean heavily on the likes of Joe Valeno and Lucas Raymond and, and wanting more from them. Didn't slander the game this year, but said he thinks that they're poised and should take a, a big next step. That's something that every GM says, but it seemed a little bit louder from Eisenman. What do you make of uh, the team's expectation for the younger generation to just kind of take a big step this summer and and how that relates to, you know, for example, how Lucas Raymond played this season? Well, he's right. Um, Lucas Raymond, I think, has to be a little bit heavier to play against. Uh, I, I think he's got it in him to do that. But I always go back to Larkin's second season in the league and you learn and you have to adapt. And Dylan did and got more inside and and used more of the ice and just wasn't circling. And, and he found out in the second year it wasn't as easy to do that because you catch on. And I think they did for Lucas Raymond, too. So he has to find different ways to get open and quieter spaces and, and battles for pucks. Not that he doesn't. But I think he can be heavier in that regard. Um, Joe Valeno, too. I don't know what the offensive ceiling is for him. It's not like he was going to be a great goal scorer. But Joe Valeno has a competitive edge to him. And I think he can be a very useful guy. So, too, can still be Philip Zadina. But again, is he going to be a top six? No, he's not. But how valuable can he be in a bottom six role and still under a good contract and a smart player, good zone entries? He can make things happen. He's just never had that finish. So maybe he has to work on that shooting ability. Now, whether Zadine is here longer term or Steve Eisenman with deals in the summer, who knows? But I believe you you do need uh, those guys who haven't produced to find that that offense um, that you didn't get from them because you're going to have to hang in games from unexpected sources. And they're going to have to find that from those guys. Eisenman went out shopping last offseason. I don't think he'll do the same this offseason, mostly just because the same uh, supply isn't there in a free agency, but between what is in free agency and let's say, you know, the Jets who seem to be poised to blow things up, do you think there's some moves to be made for uh, for the uh, Eisenman's path to kind of continue as he started last year? Well, I think the Jets will blow things up because their coach is coming back. So after what he said, I wondered somebody had to go. But there was no doubt even partway through the season that there were going to be changes in Winnipeg. There's always been a a dysfunction in that room. Um, But if he's going to be looking at anything in Winnipeg, I think you're going to go to Andrew Cobb and find out what went on in that room. I don't think he wouldn't use those players to get uh, their feelings on that. But to me, uh, defensive-wise, I look at two righties, which uh, could slide in nicely. One would be Scott Mayfield if he does hit unrestricted free agency, and another would be Radko Gudis. But I don't believe you want to overpay it. I'm not sure, having not looked at comparable contracts or what those might be. But if you wanted two guys who are going to give you some grit who can play and not hurt you, um, then you, you, you've, you've got currency. You've, you've got so many on the left side that you could make deals for and move elsewhere, not necessarily this summer, but through the year or next summer, um, to build out your roster. 
So I think those might be two guys on the back end you'd look at. And if you're going to look at Winnipeg or changes now that'll be happening maybe in Calgary, um, it was clear that those guys did not want to play for for Daryl Sutter. Um, and that, that seemed pretty obvious when the GM even left too. And now the coach is gone also. So there, yeah, it's not a great, it's not a great free agency cop, uh, uh, free agency crop, uh, out there to be had. Um, there's Severson, I guess, uh, maybe a possibility too, but, um, so there are some that he could tinker with the roster. I don't see it being as, as full out as he did last year either and that was really to add some structure to the room and I he did that very well we were talking a little bit about the draft before uh before we hit record here and you know not to get into the nitty-gritty of every single player name but we were saying that the Red Wings have picks 9 and 18 uh maybe 18 unless Florida goes to the conference finals in which case that becomes 17 on last uh last episode I said my hot take is I don't think Detroit makes both picks as they are where do you stand on that with Detroit's assets and, and the holes that they have on the roster? What do you think some things that uh, Eisman could do are? I'm with you. I don't think they make both picks where they are either. Um, and you've got, uh, what is it, five in the first 45 or 47 or something like whatever it may be. I don't know. Somewhere around there. And you've got Boston's pick next year and what, what they're going to lose with likely Bergeron and Krejci and who knows where they're going to be next year too. Could that be in play? I don't think both 9 and 18, and that's not to say that 18 couldn't be moved with something else to move up if a player's still there. Uh, I, I like, you know, I know we talk about offense. To me, you, you can find offense to add, um, whether it be through trade or free agency down the road when this team, maybe in a couple of years, is ready to make a push in a first round or through the season. Um, when I watch the U18 and I see Axel Sandin Pelica, Boy, I like him. And, I, and I, I'm just, you know, you look at a blue line where you have Wallman and Sider and Edvinson and Pelica a few years from now. And if you sign a Mayfield and Gudis, that would be pretty tough to play against. And, and what is Steve thinking now? I think everything he's done, whether it be moving Heronic or moving Bertuzzi with all in sight of where is this team going to be, not this year or next, where are you going to be in two or three years when you're ready, not only just to get in the playoffs, but make a solid push for the playoffs when maybe three years from now you're looking at the top of that division because I don't think Tampa has a draft pick until 2030. So, you know, where, where the teams are going to fall now and, and a few years from now where you're going to see probably Montreal and Buffalo and Ottawa and Detroit. And I think Toronto will, will still be there, but who knows with Matthews in a, another year and unrestricted, who knows? So th- there could be a changing of the guard by the time the Red Wings are ready to take that next step. So I like Sandine Bellica. I know they're looking for offense. Um, whether you take nine and you package something else, if you, what does Arizona really need? If someone they want is still there, Will Smith is still there. Do they move to six? Do they move to seven? What's the currency to give up to get there? So I can see Steve making moves. I, I was right a couple of years ago when I did say the Red Wings would move their 22nd pick or 21, whatever you want to view that because of the forfeit by Arizona. It always gets screwed up whether Kosa was 15 or 14. Depends how you want to look at it. But I was right, and I said on our preview on Bally Sports Detroit, I could see Steve Eisenman moving to take Kosa to bypass Ken Holland because I know that Ken Holland wanted Sebastian Kosa. And then when Kosa was gone, Kenny didn't even take Jesper Wallstadt, bypass that to take Borshio and went to the Quebec League. So I was right on that one where Steve moved up. He had the currency to do it and got the man that he wanted. Is there a man that he really wants, whether it be six, seven, or eight, if not there, or 18 isn't going to be there, the guy he wants to move up? I wouldn't put it past him. He's got the currency to do it, and that's what's so fascinating. 
So you're not a big, uh, it doesn't matter the 5% chance of winning the lottery or, or 10% chance of whatever's going to hit. Yeah. It's funny you said that. I don't even think about that. And you know, when we were on, when we were on, we have our, our Bally calls, you know, in the morning and on a day of a game, and we talk about that and where the Red Wings are in the playoffs. And I never, as I said to you, I never thought playoffs were a reality, would have loved to have seen it. But again, just because of the teams around us, I didn't think it was a, a, a reality. And I used to say to them, if, if the Red Wings are winning games now, and I know that even Newsy joked about it, how management and the scouts may not be happy that they're winning games where maybe they shouldn't down the stretch. I said to them all the time, I said, if they're going to be 10, 9, I, I said, let's get to 7. I mean, if you're not going to win games, let's get to 7. So if you're at 7 and you really had a guy at 5, maybe it doesn't matter. You're moving two picks. If you wind up being 11, you're not getting to 6. Because there's too much a discrepancy there. Even if you're moving with Arizona, do they want to drop back to 11? No. But if you were 9 or you were 8 or you were 7, now if you needed to get to 5, you probably could, depending if, you know. So it's just in a position to move. But to the answer to your question, I never thought was, boy, percentage chance from from 5% to 8% to draft one or two, Fantilli or Bedard. Never entered my mind. I just wanted to be in a position because there are a lot of good players. If you ever found Bedard or Fantilli and you could do that, wonderful. Isn't that great? But that never really entered my thinking. It was just my thinking was always to be in a position to move if you needed to, to get the best player available. And whether it be, there there are so many out there, right? Um, From from Smith and others that you you could move to. So I'm not really sure where they're going in that way. All right, and last uh, hockey question here before we talk about the important stuff. Uh, knowing the the first round results, I mean, we're recording before Game Seven of uh, Rangers Devils, so forgive that. Uh, who's your pick for the Cup or the Finals? Let's say. Well, it, it had been Boston, but I had to work some things around and 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 take some on Florida last night. Um, <laughs> I've I've got uh, Edmonton coming out of the West, but Dallas scares me. Um, Seattle, Florida final would terrify me, but I wouldn't be looking at that one just for interest sake. It would be a cool story though. So I've uh, had Edmonton in the West and if it wasn't Boston, I had the Rangers uh, in the East. Similar as you, I, I picked the uh, Oilers, but man, Dallas just looks so complete and Jake Ottinger's, that is a scary yep. goalie to play against. Yep. They've done a, a really nice job. Uh, they, they, and that one draft um, with, with Haskinen, and uh, Ottinger and uh, Robertson. Uh, yeah, Robertson was one pick after Gustav Lindstrom. Heartbreaking. Yeah, right. So, yeah, it happens, and it's uh, we always talk about being being a uh, you know a, a crapshoot uh, at that time. And I, I asked Jim Nill too, and I said, "Hey, Skin and Macar, how well did you know Kale Macar?" He goes, "Well, actually, in the same area, living, I, I knew Kale Macar very well." And, and it was a toss up. And we just thought because Makar was still junior and where we looked at Haskinen playing against men, we thought Haskinen was more ready. And that's where we went. Now, okay, hindsight. Uh, is Makar better? Sure. But by how much? And as he said to me, Haskinen is our Nicholas Lidstrom. And he's, he's not wrong on that. So that, that's the draft. But even one spot, right? You just, it's nice to have choices. Going back to what we were talking about earlier, it's nice to have choices if you can move up a couple of spots or be there. But uh, I'm, I'm with you on the Rangers. I had the Rangers or Boston a while ago. 
Um, and the Rangers, I just think, fitting in all the pieces. They had to find their game, and then Zabanajad finally comes alive, and you hope uh, that will continue. And Patrick Kane's just dealing with the, the hip injury. He's still, you can see, he's just not 100%, but uh, how much puck is there to go around for that team? But in the end, it's going to be uh, Shesterkin out dueling the guy at the other end, I think, if they're going to keep it going. Uh, well, we'll see how it all shakes out, but uh, let's take some time here at the end uh, to talk about Saturday, August 26th at 6 p.m., the Roast and Toast. It's a double feature of Thomas Holmstrom, who is being roasted, and Nicholas Lidstrom, uh, who you can do nothing else other than uh, toast him. Uh, tell us a little bit about that event in benefit of the Jamie Daniels Foundation. Right, because um, well, how, do you, how do you roast a perfect human? You, you just can't. And when I spoke to Henrik Zetterberg, if he can be in town, he'll be there. And many of the Red Wings will be there. We'll do our silent auction, which will be up three weeks before. We'll have a live auction at well as well. It's at uh, six o'clock at Motor City at uh, Soundboard in the ballroom across the hall. So you can uh, mingle with some NHLers. And uh, on the dais, who we have roasting, well, first off, uh, Mike Doc Emmerich is uh, back for a second time. He did Mickey's live event. And since we did Mickey in 2019, we've done two virtual roasts uh, of Scotty Bowman and of Brett Hull uh, on televised event. And this one will likely be televised after the fact, too. Scotty Bowman was going to be there. He was uh, also going to be part of the roast and toast. But his uh, grandkids for his 90th birthday, which I believe is September 18th, our event is August 26th. Scotty was going to be there, but they're taking, he begged off when he called me. He said, my family, the grandkids are taking me on a Disney cruise. And I said, well, what the hell? Why wouldn't you do that? That's pretty obvious. But we've got videos from uh, NHLers, coaches, management from around the National Hockey League uh, at the dinner for those who couldn't be there as well. And on the day of Staros, so Doc Emmerich's going to host, uh, Steve Ott, uh, former Red Wing, is going to be one of the roasters. Uh, Chris Draper, Ian Bagg, who's done our comedy nights and was there for Mickey's Live Roast. And I think he was part of uh, Scotty Bowman's as well. And uh, who am I, Miss Jim Ralph, uh, is going to be the, the uh, Leafs radio analyst, a former goaltender and one of the best after dinner speakers and impressionists uh, you've ever heard. And I just texted Ralphie now because I just heard they're actually traveling, uh, Jim Ralph and Joe Bowen, to do Leaf radio on the road for the second round after I guess uh, Joe misidentified um, Tavares calling it off television as Morgan Riley to get the winner. And I could see how that was happening because during COVID, we did it too. It's not easy off of television. But I texted Jim Ralph and I said, boy, one screw up by Joe. Do you know on that? You should have done that two years ago. <laughs> but now there was really something to screw up. So anyway, they get to travel again. So good for them. But Ott and Draper and Jim Ralph and Ian Bag and Doc Emmerich. And uh, hopefully we'll have upwards of 800 to 1,000 at Motor City Soundboard. So you can go to jamiedanielsfoundation.org. If anyone would like to sponsor the event right now, sponsorship details are out there. Um, believe tickets will be roughly around $300 for a full plated meal and, uh, the evening and all the drinks. And, uh, to me, listen, you can go to a hockey game and pay that. Well, here you can come and see the players and talk to them and, uh, have your meal and your drinks. And it's a fun night. And we're looking at, we haven't identified final pricing yet for the upper level at Soundboard. There will be a less expensive ticket for up top two food as well and all your drinks and the whole evening it uh, just wouldn't be a plated meal It'd be more hors d'oeuvre style as well so there will be some options there and uh, we should have that up uh, finalized in the next few weeks at jamiedanielsfoundation.org but if anyone goes there now there are sponsorship um, items available which uh, you can buy a table with a celebrity without a celebrity uh, pricing is on there too um, 
whatever you'd like to do. So it'd be wonderful. And you'll see us there as well. It's going to be a great time at Motor City Casino Hotel. Uh, we don't count as a celebrity at your table, though, unfortunately, but we'll still bring some of you out there. So like Ken said, jamiedanielsfoundation.org. Uh, one last thing, uh, Ken, while you're here, I'm going to just use you to to boost Wings money on the board. Uh, our goal for this season, and we're going to run this right through the draft, is $50,000 raised uh, from all avenues, including your generous support from the uh, Winged Wheel Podcast night and day at the LCA events. Uh, so wingedwheelpodcast.com slash wingsmotb. You can make your pledge retroactively. You can pledge for the draft, the lottery, whatever you want to do. Uh, there's going to be prizes, jerseys, uh, the special Winged Wheel Podcast Red Wings hat. Lots in there for you uh, uh, to win. And it's, of course, supporting a great cause. So please be sure to check that out. And, of course, the Roast and Toast event for the Jamie Daniels Foundation. What you guys have done, as I've said to you, in the live events is uh, truly amazing. And what you did for us, another 15000 just out of your own pockets, is uh, beyond anything we could have ever imagined and, and Red Wing fandom and uh, what Prashant has done. Um, all you guys are, are truly amazing with the money you've raised over, what is it, three years now or four, three years? Yeah, it's I been mean, a few years. Yeah. I mean, you, you guys, uh, I mean, depending what happens this year, upwards, like close to 100000 I mean, yeah. isn't it? it? It's it's pretty incredible. Um, so we couldn't do what we do without you guys spreading the word and Red Wing fans. And uh, we'd, we'd love to see. I know many were at the breakfast that we had, uh, the hot stove stories yeah. with Ken and Mick and, and the referees. And that was a great morning. It was a lot of fun. It exceeded my expectations. And uh, hopefully, uh, you know, it goes to a great cause. I know some people think, boy, that's expensive. Well, it, it it's not cheap. But you do get your money's worth. And anyone who was at Mickey's live event, they'll never forget it. It was fantastic. And you get to mingle with NHLers and get autographs and selfies and pictures and, and be part of something and laugh a lot. And and that's why we do what we do is because Jamie's laugh was infectious. Uh, he loved to laugh. And that's why we came up with the idea of roast or just talking about the breakfasts and what you guys do. Um, you, you keep talking about it. That ends the shame and statement. We have to talk about this. And uh, that's what we do. And thanks for all you do. Of course. And uh, we're looking forward, not just to the event, but to continue to spread the word, raise money and, and raise that bar year over year. So appreciate you uh, letting us help out however we can. Uh, folks, this has been Ken Daniels, lead announcer of the Detroit Red Wings, good friend of the podcast. I am a drink for uh, dragging him through these online uh, interviews so often. And unfortunately, Ken, uh, we're going to do this again uh, over the summer. So until next time. We will. And thank you. And I owe you dinner because you paid last time uh, when you came into town, remember, because of the credit card thing. So I owe you dinner. So not a problem. That's right. <laughs> All right. Take care. Welcome back. That was our conversation with Ken Daniels. Uh, looking forward to having him back and see how the uh, the summer's going. But Good to get his thoughts on the Red Wings season and uh, obviously all that important information about the Jamie Daniels Foundation, our work with Wings Money on the Board, and uh, the roast and toast of Thomas Holmstrom and Nicholas Lidstrom. We'll see you there. I liked what he said about Andrew Kopp and using Andrew Kopp as intel on who in Winnipeg is going to be a potential problem and who would be worth bringing over. Like That is a, a really good point and Obviously, that's what the the upper management's going to do if they're going to target any of those guys. But, you know, for a guy who was in that room for a long time, you can sit down and ask him and say, hey, uh, we're thinking of making a move for Connor. Culturally, is he going to fit or is this going to be a problem? Ben Trout also spent a lot of time in Winnipeg. It's the kind of thing that you can and should do. 
And those are two assistant captains on the Detroit Red Wings. So those are opinions that the management would take very seriously. Also, I mean, thoughts on performance aside, it does bode well that they brought in guys who came from that system and have come in Detroit and have not made waves or ruffled feathers the way there has been uh, constant explosions going on in the Winnipeg room. So, Hot take, maybe they're both away from Winnipeg because they were like, get me the hell away (laughs) from this. (laughs) And that kind of thing matters. But uh, yeah, that was a really good point, I thought. Let's talk about the playoffs. Boston. (laughs) What the hell? Look, credit to Florida. I think Florida played a, a disruptive kind of game. And, you know, they were on top of Boston way more than people would have thought. And they, they capitalized on, you know, injuries and, and illnesses and whatever. They deserve to win that series. They won it. But Boston, after a record-setting season, you're going to lose like that? They look terrible. Bad. Bad puck management. They couldn't. They had no answers for Florida's unrelenting forecheck. It was just I don't know what team I was watching, but it wasn't the Boston Bruins that I know. The overtime in Game 7 was the most scared I've ever seen a team play. Oh, they looked like they were horrified of what was inevitably going to come. They Every puck, they were handling like it was a live hand grenade with the pin pulled. So many turnovers, so many giveaways. Every time Florida got in the zone, it just felt like it was going to end in a goal the way they were running around. And I thought Boston was supposed to be the anti all of this team in the NHL. The we're, We've got the veteran leadership. We're calm, cool, collected. We can handle anything. Wow. that uh, it, it was jarring. It literally caught me completely off guard watching. Allmark looked bad. He started to look really bad and then... He was hurt apparently. Well, I think that probably came from his agent because otherwise... I don't care how good of a season the coaching staff the, the coaching staff had. You fire him if they're going to put in Allmark when he's hurt, and you have Jeremy Swayman as a backup. Well, the coaching conversation is is interesting because Paul Maurice grabbed Jim Montgomery by his backpack and stuffed him into a locker. Like <laughs> the adjustments Boston made didn't really happen, and they happened all too late. And Florida just exploited Boston at every every corner for the last three games ones that mattered yep uh this that might be it for patrice bergeron but based on the way him and marcia hugged it looked really really loud that you know that is going to be all said and done for patrice bergeron they don't know what's going to happen with krejci how long does Marshan have left they have cap questions to answer are they going to be able to keep both allmark and swayman like there's Four and a half million dollars in bonus overages that will apply to their cap situation next year. Like all of this could have happened in the cup finals or the conference finals and the same things would apply. But to not win a single round after a legitimate historic season across all of NHL history, you are, you know, by points, the most successful NHL franchise in a regular season. And you lose like that. Like that is, I have, (laughs) I mean, we all laughed. I think all of us tweeted something out. Like, literally just laughing out loud. But uh, that is the most gut-wrenching way to see Patrice Bergeron's career end. Oh, ab- absolutely. He's he's one of the very few Bruins in the history of hockey that you actually want all the good things for. So it's a, it's a shame his season finished the way it did with the injury in Game 82, missing part of the playoff series, going down into Game 7. But 
again, a team that's already tight to the cap is going to have four and a half million overages, probably won't be able to keep most, if not any of their unrestricted free agents, might lose their top two centers to retirement. Feels like their 2024 first round pick could be pretty important. Detroit owns that. Huh. That is a top 10 protected. Never thought that would be a relevant statement. I know. I it, Well... We we talked about the prospect of it a little bit ago, but well, we were talking. Hey, maybe next year the Bruins pick won't be in the 30s; it'll be in the like early 20s if all goes well for Detroit. But yeah, this is now. Before I say this, I know what everybody's thinking. We've said this about Boston every year for like 12 years. Yes, I understand that we think they're going to regress. All the signs are going to point to them regressing, and then they're absolutely not regress going to regress. Yeah, I know that is the most likely outcome here, but. There's a chance. There's a chance. <laughs> the ingredients are there. So for for full clarity, Detroit owns Boston's 2024 first round pick. So much like they have their own in the Islanders this year, and the Islanders was conditional and they kept it. Uh, in 2024, they have their own in Boston's. It's top 10 protected, which means if Boston ends up in the top 10 teams in the draft or after the draft lottery, then uh, for the 2024 draft, then it slides to 2025 and it's fully unprotected in that case. We got that confirmed, but this is looking good. Again, don't count Boston out like Brad said, but it's looking good for Detroit. And hey, just from a pure hockey rival standpoint, it's always good to see uh, the the team atop the Atlantic, your own division, fall like that. Like That bodes well. Just as a sports fan in general, watching any team from Boston yeah. crash and burn is always a good time. I will say I do think the Leafs dodged a lot of anxiety. A historic. Did they? Well, I don't think I don't think Florida. Well, Florida took them to task the first game and they won. So the Leafs are already down one nothing. But I think that feels different than facing Boston next series. Boston is a demon for them. Well, maybe the way the first game went, maybe they are hoping <laughs> they would have played that Boston Bruins team that showed up in the first round. If hey, if Florida keeps going to going against you know really tough talented teams like they did against Boston and and managed to do game one against Toronto. This could be some kind of postseason for them. That's They're an impressive their stride team. at the right time. Oh man, they are absolutely getting hot at the right time. And let me just say, if Toronto runs into Bobrovsky, like the Bobrovsky who comes up for seemingly twenty games at a time and then disappears, they're so screwed. Yeah, it's going to be a good series. I'm really looking forward to this inevitable Florida Seattle Cup final. NHL wouldn't be mad because Seattle, Seattle is money, but. They are. They already lost a lot of money with Toronto-Boston. There was a point a week ago the NHL was staring dead in the face of a Rangers-Bruins-Toronto uh, all in the second round of the Eastern Conference. The money they would have generated from that. Man, they should get rid of the salary oops, cap, then that no, could happen more often. I'll piss often. off. Yep. <laughs> yep. But uh, yes, th- thankfully Seattle saved their bacon. Seattle and Vegas advancing in the West uh, kind of balanced that out a little bit. Battle of the Hudson, the Rangers fall in game seven to the Devils. The Devils just look like the better team as it was a decisive victory in game seven. Gerard Gallant is going to get a cab called for him again, maybe here. Like there's, I don't know if it's fair or not, but the implosion in New York is, this wasn't a typical seven game. They shouldn't have lost in seven based on how they started the season. And very obviously that fan base in that franchise feels the same way. Listen, I understand that the Rangers have not been a great five-on-five team since Gerard Gallant took over, and they've leaned a little too heavy on their power play and their goaltending. But, oh my 
God, did the Rangers have a record number of no-shows in that series. Yep. Panarin, nothing. Kane, whatever. Tarasenko had like two good games. Lafreniere put up the, what's the old uh, quote? <laughs> zero, 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 zero. Lafreniere trade, uh, trade, what's it called? Rumors are back on the menu. Oh my, and the asking price isn't that high anymore. <laughs> but uh, was, yeah, it was, they did not show up. They, it was pathetic. Yeah, the the Rangers couldn't score a goal. The New York Rangers, the Mika Zibanejad, Artemi Panarin, Patrick Kane, Vladimir Tarasenko, Chris Kreider, Adam Fox led New York Rangers couldn't get a goal. Elsewhere in the West, Seattle did it against Colorado. Seattle. Second. Seattle is a team of just second liners. But they have four second lines. They have Isn't four that the joke? Them. Yes. And they just come at you in waves. Like they're very impressive. Not they don't have any true star power like other teams do. But man, do they all commit to one singular purpose and they all pull the rope the same way and they're extremely structured and disciplined as a team. Like it's could the red? Could this be the red? Like, is this like the archetype of the Red Wings? If we're not going to get an elite, elite talent, yeah, it could be. And like, they were missing some some key players, some high scorers, and they yeah, still... we don't have a Jared McCann yet. But... No, and they didn't for game one. And... Toronto did, but then they protected Justin <laughs> yeah. Hall, but... who they had to sit to win. So in a way, they still got their victory. But Seattle beat a very, very, very scary Dallas team in game one, and all it took was for Oliver Bjorkstrand to look like Alex Ovechkin. And that was a, that was a player they picked. That was a really intelligent pickup and a miss by Columbus. I really want to hear the behind the scenes story of what happened with that trade. Because did you hear Friedman talking about that? No. Apparently, Columbus had a deal in place, sort of, with another team for Bjorkstrand. Uh, but and I think the exact quote was they screwed around too much, so Columbus went screw it and traded him to Seattle instead. I appreciate that. Yep. Good for them. I have deep respect for that. But that, That's a Yarmo Kekka line in story if I've ever heard one. Yeah, a thousand percent. So, you know, just the, the way things have to shake down to shape the NHL. Anyhow, Seattle and Dallas, Seattle already up to a one nothing lead. Florida and Toronto, Florida took game one. So the road teams both took game one. And uh, we were recording before Carolina and New Jersey kicks off and before Vegas-Edmonton kicks off. And that Vegas-Edmonton series could be the series of the playoffs with the strength of those teams and and how well they might be matched. I don't I don't know what the difference is going to be there. It might come down to uh, goaltending. So, uh, yes, Laurent Brassois and Stuart Skinner determining who might win the Stanley Cup this year. We've heard crazier storylines. Oh well, right now can uh, the Carolina Hurricanes get one past Akira Schmid? Evidently not. Yeah this this is uh, the per- remember how last episode we talked about the Hellebuck to Detroit possibility and we're like we really like the goalie but you just don't pay goalies anymore and yes you appreciate superstar goalies but you can you have to not pay superstar yes. goalies goalies that went out in the first round Vasilevsky Shisterkin Sorokin like <laughs> I heard I, I don't quote me on the exact uh, metric but it's something Hallmark. like the top four goalies in save say, percentage. There was something like that. Yeah, the top five goalies in save percentage are all out. Like crazy. It's been a like as Ken said, these playoffs have been chaotic. I'm very happy for Seattle. I honestly love watching Dallas do their thing. Vegas, like I like to see Vegas actually pull it together after what happened last season and missing the playoffs. And it's no secret how much I love watching Connor McDavid play. So all those teams in the West, like I'm having a blast. 
and we have a vested interest as Red Wings fans to see Florida beat Toronto and Carolina and New Jersey like don't discount either of those teams to to make it further and come out of the east so it's a lot of fun the second round four very fast teams left in the east that's what I was interesting that's what I was thinking about is who's the slow teams that are left Vegas are they the only slow well you'd say team foot speed is slow yeah, and they but even Vegas kind of plays fast. Yeah, you know they play I mean? up tempo. Yeah, they play a very aggressive style. So it's this is a good second round, not necessarily financially for the NHL, but for showcasing what, talent kind of thing. Yes, this is what hockey should look like, at least as close as we can get with a collection of eight teams in the second Jacob round. Jacob Trouba would uh, argue differently on oh. your uh, on your statement there. Well, that's okay. He's not playing in the second round. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'll get to that one in a different episode. I want to talk very quickly about Calgary here. Uh, obviously, the uh, Brad Living moved on. It was communicated that that was essentially his decision, and a big part of that was Maybe he's looking for a different challenge and didn't really like the direction of the franchise, especially as it went under head coach Daryl Sutter. Uh, and that was kind of projected a little ways out. Daryl Sutter got fired recently. And it essentially came down to the exit interviews for all the players where the, almost a universal hatred for him. And not only that, Frank Saravalli also reported uh, uh, essentially all the trade demands that Calgary was dealing with vanished after they fired Sutter. <laughs> Shocker. So this is the guy who didn't even remember the rookie they played in his first game. I think he remembered. He was just being a prick. Yeah, no, that it still amazes me. And you can almost apply this to the whole world, not just hockey. If you are the boss of anybody and you are a miserable piece of shit, the younger generation doesn't put up with it. They just don't. You can call them soft or you can whatever your opinion on that. I don't care. Go either way. But this is the way it works. So if you don't want to lose all your star players, maybe don't hire a miserable piece of shit to be around them every day. And I don't mean to dump on a guy who just got fired, but this is the most universally hated coach we have seen since Mike Keenan, it feels like. Yeah, like the amount of public public statements coming out, it it makes what's going on in Winnipeg where Bonus is going against his players and essentially that core is about to be blown up most likely, like, at least bonus has a point. Yeah. <laughs> there was something about it's not the, wrong. <laughs> the power plays and, and how they struggled on the power play. And uh, he called Sutter called that out at one point. And then one of the players said, we didn't even work on it once all year. Like, how are you going to complain about that when we didn't work on it once all year? And hey, look, I think Sutter's a successful coach. And I think you, you hit the nail on the head, Brad. It's just not for this era anymore. Agree or disagree. It's the reality of these players, you know, player empowerment, the player agency, having more and more control over a team. That's the way sports overall are trending. And, and it's really seeping into the NHL now. You, you you have to be able to be a coach that's dynamic and foster su- success across a variety of personality types. And you also have to know if, if you can't work with a guy, then you have to use your coaching staff to work with that guy. And very obviously Sutter, he... He didn't lose that room. He took that room, lobbed it a foot in front of him, and punted that thing to the 50-yard <laughs> line. Like, it was so apparent and so loud. When your trade requests publicly dissolve like that, like, like <laughs> and they made the right choice. They, I think they owe him $4 million a year or something like that. Yeah, they're paying him basically, what was it, $8 million to stay the hell away from the team. Well, and- once they found out that 
the taxpayers will be paying for the new arena. And they're like, ah, oh, uh, whatever. We'll just fire them. What's four yeah, million let's, bucks? Uh, they saved. Yeah, the absolutely. That's the way ownership is looking at that because they saved way more than four million on that arena. Yeah. We'll talk about that one. Also, time. Yeah. the one thing that I started thinking about was, you know, did Johnny Goudreau, Johnny Goudreau's situation change? I thought it was just a Boudreau thing. <laughs> I had, I it's literally had in. a brain cramp. Um, <laughs> His him leaving Calgary was that a symptom of of Sutter? Like, uh, how, did they let this go on too long? Like, there's so many things that happened. What about Kachuk in the past yeah. season for Calgary that you're that made me think? You know, was this just I didn't want to deal with the coach anymore? Well, it it could be relevant because when Goudreau left Calgary, we all thought he was going to Philly. Now, obviously, there's. A lot of talk that Philly was never interested, but Tortorella was there. If you're getting away from Daryl Sutter, you're not going to Tortorella. He ends up in Columbus, who I think Brad Larson was a coach at the time. Who knows? But Kachuk left and, you know, at the time thought he was going to play for Andrew Burnett, I believe, because that wasn't resolved yet. Either way, they did, uh, they, they both left while Sutter was there very rapidly. And, you know, Kachuk just straight up said, trade me. So, yeah, maybe there's something there. Well, we'll see what Calgary does. Their their main priority now, I think, for next season. They have to find a GM. It looks to be Craig Conroy. They have to find a coach. And they have to unlock Huberto because that is, you know, that's who the core is built around now. They got rid of Kachuk. They brought in Huberto, Uyghur. Hey, uh, Andrew Cadre. Burnett's available. Uh, <laughs> you know? Anyhow, lots happening there. Uh Just a little funny the way that one shook out. All right, let's jump into overtime uh, because, Brad, you have a house to renovate. Overtime is brought to you by our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash podcast. Again, if you want to support the show, it means so, so much to us. The bonus episodes, the Discord, the giveaways, there's a ton of benefits. uh, Helps us uh, grow the show. uh, Expected by whom? The the newest podcast in the Winged Wheel Podcast content network. And... um, yeah, it just means a lot to us for those of you who can uh, support. For those who want to support but uh, can't contribute to Patreon, subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts and um, uh, give us a rating. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever it might be. It means a lot. It helps the show quite a bit. So thank you again. Patreon.com slash Winged Wheel Podcast. Let's take some questions from patrons. Keenan O'Donoghue, Yanni Burgers, Meals on Wheels says, uh, so I'm a big Riley Height fan. I think he's super underrated. 97 points in 67 games. I'm wondering if you've heard anything on why he's not rated higher. I've really scouted him uh, hard and like everything I see. Upside. Generally, that's going to be the answer for players who have a very, you know, who have a game like Riley Height that there's very few weaknesses. You like what you see. So if if they have a good game and they're not rated very highly, well, it's how high is that game? Do, is Riley Height going to be a top six contributor in the NHL? In terms of his talent level, there's a lot of questions around that. And most tend to think the answer is no. So I, that's really all it is. Joseph Barry says, should Detroit possibly uh, explore trying to get one of Los Angeles's few right D prospects? Oh my God. Who is, who do they have there? They've got Dursey, Brant Clark, and they're not moving Brant Clark. No. Um, well, he had the rumor for him recently. Uh, yeah, I was for Chikrin. And they they flat out said, they said pretty publicly, like, this guy's Yeah, not if you're not trading Brant coach. Clark for Jacob Chikrin, there's nothing Detroit has that's, no. that's going to pull Brant Clark away from L.A. 
Because well, he was almost two points per game when he came back to the OHL this year as a defenseman, which is crazy. He was more impactful than than Shane Wright was. Literally, yes. Um, Helga Granz, they have. Um, yeah. Yeah, they're options. I don't know that you, you necessarily target them. I think the Red Wings will probably look draft. Let's see where they come out of the draft. Ken said, like, Sandine Pelica and Reinbacher. I know in our mock draft we didn't have any defensemen in the top 10 or something. Which but neither of those guys made it to the Red Wings pick with the Islanders in our mock. And we're almost universally, we always do this. We When there isn't like a, a, a hot defensive pick, we usually slide further in our mocks without picking a defenseman, but we acknowledge real drafts don't typically go that way. Um, I don't know. I, I think Reinbacher will break the top 10. I don't know if both will. Well, if the Red Wings want either of them, they have to take them at nine. Yeah. I, I would be shocked if either of them made it to 18. Commander Ben Barron of the Cheeseback Space Force says, Hey, fellas, hockey strategy question. When a team goes uh, 11-7, which is to say 11 forwards and 7 defensemen, how are the lines and defensive pairs deployed? I've never quite understood it. Thanks for the help and keep up the great work. There's a lot of ways to do this, so I'll give the most common one. So let's take Edmonton, for example, because you have to have a very strong top 6 forward group to make this work because essentially your fourth line is running a body short. So what Edmonton would do in their scenario is you, let's say, send the McDavid line, send the dry side of line, send the third line, then McDavid goes and plays a shift with the fourth line. Then dry saddle's line goes, then McDavid's line goes, then the third line goes, and then dry saddle goes and plays a shift with the fourth line is, is generally how that'll work. Now, sometimes in these scenarios, teams will just basically run three lines because their fourth line sucks. And they're like, Hey, these guys are going to play five minutes tonight and we're just going to ride our horses. There's a lot of different ways to do it, but those are the two most common ways. CJ Wilkinson says, fun, debatable question. What happens first? The Lions win a Super Bowl or the Red Wings win another cup? Look, I got the grit hat on right now. I've heard mixed reviews on the Lions draft. I know positional value is a big thing. I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on it. I think the Lions are could potentially win the division next year. I stand by what I, I, I feel this in my bones, and until I see anything to lift the curse, the way, same way a Leafs fan would look at the first round, I have n- there's nothing... No matter how good I see the Lions on the field, I just can't tell myself they are going to win the Super Bowl. I just can't do it. Okay, so someone who doesn't have to deal with the Lions Super Bowl curse, I got my own to work on. What I will say is this is where hockey and football being fundamentally different sports applies. And I'm going to say the Red Wings probably win a cup first because in the NFL, you almost cannot win a Super Bowl without an elite quarterback. And, hey, I know Jared Goff's better than public perception uh, says he is, but I don't think you win a Super Bowl with Jared Goff. So until that gets addressed for the Lions, I don't see it happening for them. Last one here, Coyote Season Tickets in Tempe says, I'm heading out from Phoenix on a red eye to Miami on Saturday night for a work-related conference that's going to run through Thursday. Luckily, both games of the Leafs-Panther series will be happening while I'm there. That's awesome. And since I've outgrown strip clubs, casinos, and cannabis shops, I'll be taking in both games in person. I honestly thought I might be seeing a handshake line in game four, but that's now unlikely. However, if I do happen to see the back end of a sweep, how much impact do you think that will have on Dubas's and Keefe's current employment? I think Dubas is safe. If Even if they get swept, I think. Because if, okay, if they get swept, Florida will likely go to the, they'll be seen as the Bruin killers and uh, Toronto management will say, well, that was the, the, the team of destiny of these playoffs. 
If Florida gets or sweeps and then gets swept, that might change things. But I think Dubas is safe. If they get swept, I think Keith's job might be back in question. But I don't know. I think. I think they broke the first round curse. Yeah, yeah. It might. You know, it, it's loser attitude, but it might be mission accomplished for the, at least. The, that's a strong consolation prize. Look how they cheer every goal right now. Every goal right now is for those fans is gravy. Yeah. There wasn't the despondent attitude or air after their game one loss like they they genuine i've said it a million times they feel like they're playing with house money fair or not right or not like they broke through that barrier and for now if like if they lose to the panthers even in horrific fashion they'll be able to say okay we now have the blueprint how do we refine modify they spent a, a lot of emotional fuel getting through that first series like it's hard to regroup mentally to get ready to go for another series with a team that's as relentless as Florida has been. It's like getting your first good night's sleep in months. You can't relate, Brad. Your first good night's sleep in months, and then you might still have a shit day after, but at least you're not. Hey, at least I had a good sleep. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. What's your take? I hated that metaphor. Because uh, it was too real? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll sum this up. If they get swept in the second round, their jobs shouldn't be safe. But getting over that first round boogeyman probably means they are safe. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that's all for now. We're going to be back with you on Sunday uh, for our pre-draft lottery episode. We are we are doing a live stream on Sunday night before the draft lottery kicks off and through the draft lottery. So stay tuned for that. YouTube.com slash winged wheel podcast. Uh, follow along there as we watch what is inevitably going to be the ninth overall pick. Coming up for the Red Wings and the Connor Bedard, Adam Fantilli, Carlson Michkov lottery. So Monday night. What did I say? Sunday. Monday. Monday night. Monday, May 8th. <laughs> 7.30 p.m. Eastern. We'll kick off the uh, stream and then uh, the lottery will be sometime around 8 p.m. Unless the NHL decides to switch their schedule again because it's the NHL and this is how we operate. We'd like to thank all of our listeners, uh, all of you who have left us ratings and subscribe uh, wherever you get the show. Thank you so very much. Uh, for all of our Patreon supporters, you mean the world to us, our name-level supporters on Patreon. Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Akefer, Bertuzzi is straight up missing, Nick Perks, Icon, We Are Geelong, the greatest team of all, Glenn Brabham, Aiden White, Keenan O'Donoghue, Yanni Burgers, Meals on Wheels, Math- Matthew M. Rice, Misunderstood, Yowie, Admiral Matt S. of the Cheesebag Navy, Babe Landeskog, Bros Before Hosas, Brian Hanna, but the B is silent, Carl Brutina Nanaluski, Chimmy, Chris P, Citizen High Five, Connor Scovey, Cooking with Kosa, Coyote Season Tickets in Tempe, Denny's Gamer Girl, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Give Blood, Fight Probert, Hockey Town Matt, Hassam Al Kassem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Joel Miranda, Kaylin Wood, Kevin James, Marcus, Matt McKay, Michael Edland, Nicholas Fritz, RA, Red Three, Ryan Hubbard, Ryan, the Ryan Hannah Hannah, Scott Martin, That's What I Appreciate About You, Wallman's Elite Dancing D, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, number one Detroit Red Guys fan, A.A. Ron, Adam Gowitska, Adam Rose, Brad Simmons, Brian Vasha, Captain Antonio Gracias of the United Federation of Cheesebags, C.J. Wilkinson, Commander Ben, Commander ben Barron of the Cheesebag Space Force, Connor Leighton, Corey Prita, Darren Fick, Dungeon Master of Puppets, Evans Storkorm Goals, Evans 2018 Kitchener Road Puddles, Frank Stanley, Gene Sullivan, Grand Rapids Hockey Guy, Griffey Boy, Instructions Unclear, Cheesebag No Longer Fresh, James Laporte, Jeremiah Dobo, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans, John Ingalls, Josh Yelton, 
Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Linda Hull, Matt Keeler, Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, Ophelia, Reed, Steven, Tatarsas, and the Hodag. Thank you all so very much. Get ready for draft lottery. It's almost here. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.